I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, rare friends. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm having a cozy mom chat with one of my favorites today. She put the most beautiful book out into the world called Special. Many of you have read it. And if you haven't, please see the links in the show notes and get a copy. Send a copy to a friend or family member who has a medically complex kiddo, especially if they're in the beginning of their journey. After giving birth to her son and getting a diagnosis of CP, she scoured the world for hope, stories, insight, companionship, desperate to know what she was up against and needing someone to tell her that everything was going to be okay. She interviews other parents who are further along in their journey, and her book is special. It's just that. She's funny and adorable and relatable. So please enjoy my conversation with Melanie Dimmitt. Hi, Melanie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a treat to chat with you. Oh, my gosh. Melanie, I feel like you're one of my girlfriends. And honestly, I've felt like that since your book came out. And I'm sure you hear that a lot. And then we got a chance to sit on a small panel at our friend Sinead Quinn's conference a while back. And it was just normal. Yeah, I love that. I feel it happens a lot when you're in this, you know, community. I just think we've all shared so much and we all really get it. And I find I make really fast friends, but you are something quite special. Um, I've been listening to your pod and I've listened to you interviewed on other pods and we're actually super similar. Like I think our kids are similar age and I think we're in a very similar place in processing all of this and we've come to kind of the same understanding of how you know this is a really fucking hard gig but my (laughs) god it's incredible and I just think we've come out the other side and realized just how special this all is Um, so I love listening to you because I just feel really (laughs) validated and I'm like yes we're we're speaking the same (laughs) language (laughs) oh my god Thank you so much for saying that. It's like, I've sort of actually thought that too, you know, your book came out in 2018. Did it come out in 2018? Uh, 2019 in September. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. So I had just started my podcast in October of 2019 and I did it for the same reasons you wrote your book because I was like, I hate this and I need to find other people who make me not feel scared, lost. I need to learn about it because I don't like this. I don't like this Effie and I'm not having fun. Yes. And yeah, your book wasn't released yet. I can't remember how I heard of it and I had to order it from Australia. So I paid a lot for it the first <laughs> <Thank> time. <you. laughs> it's on Amazon now in the US. So hopefully I a know. Lot more 
accessible. <laughs> I send this book to a lot of people. I'm glad it's in America now. But yeah, it's funny because I do feel like we kind of had the same reaction, you know, where we were just horrified and we had to search for answers and we both did it, you know, in a way that felt warm to us, I guess. Yes, totally. I think you've done it in a much smarter way. It's funny now when parents are new to this space, I sort of say, go to the podcast first because they're a kind of more gentle entry point and, you know, they're easy (laughs) to ingest. Whereas I've got like this thonking great book that, you know, a lot of parents can't read at the best of times. But anyway, I think you've been really smart (laughs) with the way that you've done it. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think that they're both perfect. Like I said, I send this book to everyone who's just gotten news that something is not the way that they expected. And I feel like this book is something that's so digestible as opposed to everything else I tried to read when I was new. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot. But you're so right. We just did. And quite quickly, because I think Ford must have been super young when you started your podcast then. Yeah, Arlo was only a year old when I started writing special, but I was desperate. I had to do something. I had to know that other people were doing this thing and that they weren't hating their lives and they weren't miserable all the time. And then as you would have found as well, as soon as I started talking to other parents, I saw what this could be. And I saw that it was so far from what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't a nightmare. And, you know, like I said, it's really hard, but it's also quite incredible and also quite boring and normal a lot of the time. (laughs) And it was really comforting to discover that. Yeah. Boring for sure, especially lately. I can definitely hear you there. Yeah. What's been boring at your end, just the whole COVID? Oh, yeah. You know, just being stuck. But, you know, it's like we're always stuck. But right now I kind of feel like it's just so hard to get both of them somewhere. You know, Ford's getting bigger and sometimes it's just mentally exhausting to even think about packing up the house to go. It's just a moment I'm having right now. Oh, well, you can't take them both to the park. You're probably the same where like I was in a wheelchair, um, my son who's five and Odie, our daughter who's three, just wants to run away or wants to be carried even though she can walk perfectly fine. So I can't handle a wheelchair and, you know, carry me or running away. So we can't, I can't go out with both of them by myself really. (laughs) And that's incredibly, that's hard. That's very limiting. Yeah. You feel that? You're the same? Oh my God. Yep. It's exactly the same. That's literally my day. Yes. (laughs) This is why support workers are so wonderful. We've got an incredible disability support worker for Arlo, who's this 21 year old angel girl who lives up the road from us, who's studying OT. And we hire her to come and basically hang out with, often with Arlo by herself, but sometimes she comes and hangs out with me. So like we can take the kids out together and we have outing days um, while Rose working. And she has just made a world of difference because now we can actually go to parks and pools and things that was just not going to happen before. Oh, congratulations. You're so lucky. Don't ever let her go. Tie her up if you have to. <laughs> no, right? I just wanted to move in. I just want to adopt her. Like, no joke. <laughs> Seriously, I get it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, Melanie, let's talk about this a little bit. I don't want to necessarily talk about your story leading up to the book so much. I'm going to share that a little bit in the beginning, but I kind of want to talk about just the process in general and a lot of the things that I've heard you say or things that I've read about you that have just 
really resonated with me and that I have also found super important. That sounds great. That sounds very refreshing. I don't have to go back to Arlo's birth story. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to go there. <laughs> no, that makes me happy. <laughs> not not to diminish it or dismiss it, but like, girl, there is so much to this. And I know that you've shared that part. And I know anyone who's read your book, and they will, especially after this, we'll, we'll get that across. But I want to kind of like get into a little more meat, if that's okay with you. Yeah, let's go deep. <laughs> So I know that you've learned so much, right? Obviously, just being in this life for even a couple years and kind of going through the motions and finding your people and finding some balance. But something I heard you say that's a piece of advice that I also give, I kind of want to talk about when you say, what is most important to you to pass on to another parent? I've heard you say that it's like the feelings, right? Like, don't feel ashamed of your feelings. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's so hard at the beginning because you have these feelings and thoughts that make you feel like a terrible person because a lot of us come to disability with zero experience of disability, zero knowledge of disability, which is where I was at. Like Looking back now, I was an ableist nitwit when I came to this space and it's it wasn't all my fault. I think we're conditioned in a certain way. There needs to be a hell of a lot more awareness around disability. There needs to be disabled people in mainstream media, in every job, across every level. So a lot of work needs to be done. But yeah, I came to this space thinking that my son having a disability diagnosis of cerebral palsy was the worst imaginable thing that could ever happen to me, that could ever happen to him. So I felt rubbish and I was thinking, what is going to be the point in his life if he can't walk and talk? Like, disclaimer, I feel entirely total 180 different about that now and I know so much better and I know... I know that that's not at all true, but at the time I was thinking this is the absolute end of the world. And then you're feeling like shit for thinking that because you're thinking all these horrible negative thoughts about your beautiful child and you're feeling like you can't talk to anyone about the way you're feeling because you think, oh, everyone will think I'm a horrible person. So you've got kind of layer of guilt upon layer of guilt. You've got all the guilt you sort of normally have as a parent. And then on top of that is the, you know, the feeling guilty about feeling shit about your kid having a diagnosis. So it's a lot, but it is so normal. And, you know, we talk about grief and it's a yucky word to use around your your kid who is very much alive, but it is a grief when you get a diagnosis and when you learn that your child, their life won't necessarily be, you know, how you thought it was going to be. I came to parenthood with not that many expectations. I wasn't one of these people who really, really wanted to be a mother and had thought about it for ages, but still we all expect it to go a certain way. Parenthood is sold to us in a very specific way. And when, you know, that's taken away from you, it's extremely upsetting. You know, your expectations and hopes are dashed. And it is so, again, it's so normal to feel horrible and really sad about that. So I just think give yourself time and try not to beat yourself up for having horrible thoughts and for feeling a certain way. You know, these, these thoughts and feelings will change. I promise you they will change, but you just need to kind of, well, I think you just need to wallow in it for a bit and allow yourself to feel the feelings and think the thoughts and just know that, okay, like I feel shit now, but know that it won't always be this way. 
A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Would you say that you were aware of that before? Like, were you pretty good at kind of processing your emotions and your feelings and letting them just be that and then moving on? Or was there something that happened throughout your journey or some advice that you were given that made you feel that it was okay to feel not okay? I wasn't good at it at the start. I was very good at being in denial. I did not accept Arlo's disability. I couldn't even say the word disability around him for, you know, probably the first six months after we got it. I was just like, no, this cannot be happening. This is not happening. I remember telling my boss, my editor at the magazine I was working at at the time, like, okay, he got a diagnosis, but everything is going to be okay. Everything, you know, this is not going to be a part of our life. He's not going to, you know, this won't impact his life whatsoever. I was just sort of telling everyone this story that I was telling myself to make it all okay. So I buried, you know, a lot of it at the start, but then I began to see a psychologist, I think sort of six months in, and she, you know, sat me down and said, look, this has happened to you and this is, this is a lot and it's okay to feel angry, sad, you know, whatever you need to feel. And she really helped me acknowledge how hard, you know, this is and that it is quite, you know, a diversion from the norm and that it's okay to feel however I need to feel about it. So I'd say professional help. And also talking to other parents when I started interviewing for my book, everyone said, yeah, this was really shit at the start. And it helped to know that I wasn't alone there. Yeah. Was that psychologist the one who kind of granted you the term grief? Or did you sort of discover that word and that term in what you were feeling along the journey itself? I discovered that word when one of Arlo's therapists really early on said to me, oh, you're amazing. You never, I've not once seen you grieve. And that really pissed me off because I'm like, first <laughs> off, you haven't seen me in the shower, like bawling my eyes out. <laughs> and secondly, I was like, how dare you say that word around my kid? But yeah, then I don't know if it was with my psychologist necessarily, but I interviewed some psychologists and medical professionals for special and that word came up a lot but I think the important distinction is that you're not grieving a per losing a person you're grieving the loss of expectations and hopes that you had so you can separate it from your child and I think that helps but yeah the word grief is a tricky one and I can see why you know adults with disability would probably find it quite offensive with us there as parents saying that we were grieving them. But I think if you make that distinction, it's the expectations and the hopes, not the person. It helps. But I, I wish we had a better word than grief, to be honest, when it comes to, you know, the processing of all this. Yeah, I do feel like grief does have a stigma to it. But if you really look at the dynamic of it and the trauma of it and experiencing this event, it fits. Yeah, it is. And it's not it's not the person. It's not the ableism. It's not that it's so much more than that. Right. It's even just fear, constant yes. living in fear and the fight or flight mode of wondering if your kid's going to be OK. Yeah. And like I went through, you know, they say that grief is messy and you don't necessarily go through the stages, but I went through them like pretty neatly. I like stayed in <laughs> denial and then, you know, for quite some time, and then I was in bargaining going, you know, okay, he can have this diagnosis so long as it's super, super, super mild. And he's one of these like really, you know, high performing 
like Paralympians or something. I'm like, then it will be okay. And it's sort of moved through the stages to acceptance. And it's interesting because, you know, we are so, we've been in acceptance for a long time and know how fine this is and how cool this is, but still something will happen. Like Arlo got um, a peg put in, in March and we were right back to square one for a little while there of like, this is so shit. Like he loved eating with his mouth, you know, this is such a blow, but we're so much faster at coming back to acceptance now. You know, it was maybe a couple of days of tears and feeling pretty shit. And then we were just back to it and like, nah, this is great. We can make this work. This makes sense now. So we've gotten really good at grief. I love that you said that because I think for some people, it can seem like some parents just have it all together now and they're happy and they are just so proud of their kid in every way. And they think disability is awesome, which all of those things are true. But there's also still those moments in the shower that you have every once in a while when you feel like you got pushed down the stairs for whatever reason. And that's normal, too. And everybody has those. We have our days. And I mean, it so depends on your situation anyway. Like I sort of stay away from disability parenting or as they are sometimes called special needs parenting Facebook groups because I was just like, whoa, there's so much negativity in a lot of these. But I'm here, you know, in a super supportive relationship. I work flexibly, so I'm still able to work. Australia has this incredible um, national disability insurance scheme where all of Arlo's therapies and equipment and everything he'll ever need is paid for by taxpayers' dollars. So we're not financially strained. So I've got the perfect conditions to be okay in this scenario, but I understand that other parents might be having like major difficulties in their relationships. They might not be financially okay. They might, you know, other mums especially might not be able to work and have their own you know, a lot of their own other stuff going on. So I very much appreciate how freaking privileged and lucky I've been through this. So I can sit here and sort of say, yeah, this is all great. It also helps that Arlo is just the most divine, most of the time, extremely happy child. We're not dealing with really tricky sort of behavioral things, which I think would be potentially a whole world of other challenges. So I'm in a pretty lucky spot and I've worked hard to put supports around us and to get here. But I think, you know, and I appreciate how fortunate we are in our family story. Yeah, I think a lot of us can say that too, right? But it doesn't actually negate the difficulty level either, but it helps. It helps. Yeah, it means you can kind of climb out of it and it's not sort of a constant this is too hard this is too hard there's definitely weeks sometimes months of that but we there's so much good and in our story you know the good certainly outweighs the bad if you want to call it that Yeah, you got to be selective with those Facebook groups, especially early on, you might be tempted to join every single buzzword and every symptom that your kid has. But you have to pay attention to the energy and the tone in a lot of those rooms, because they'll drag you down. And some of them are just too large and, you know, not moderated. So you have to be really selective. You have to have a lot of self preservation in mind as early as possible. Yes. And this is what I love about you. One of the things that you said, Effie, um, about early when you got Ford's diagnosis and part of that was, you know, it could be life limiting, whatever that means. 
And I love that you just sort of put that information away and you were like, no, look, that that isn't going to be part of what we're doing here. That isn't useful to me right now. I love that you did that. I sort of did the same with Arlo. Like Arlo has not a rare condition at all. It's common as Mark. He's got cerebral palsy, but I'm not one of those parents who researches it to kingdom come and has to know every <laughs> single foot. Like I don't actually know much about it at all because I'm like, look, that's not going to serve me. If I start looking at quadriplegic cerebral palsy, things come up that I don't want to see. I'm just going to let Arlo show me what this is for him. And I just remember hearing you say that, like, yeah, you just put that information aside. And I'm like, that is so powerful. And it's such a brilliant way of protecting yourself. And yeah, the same goes with the Facebook groups. I think I remember you saying you left a Facebook group once because you'd seen a child had passed away, which is horrible and, you know, important to acknowledge, but you don't need that. You don't need to see that on the daily or, you know, regularly. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's not. And you do, you have to, you have to put these very, very strategic boundaries around you as a person and what you need and what's going to fill you up and what's going to drain you. And you have to learn really quickly what those things are or you can get swept away, right? Oh, yes. It can be super overwhelming and you can just end up in these horrible places online and it's not helpful. And if you actually draw yourself back to the day and, you know, to your child and into their eyes and into their smiles and into their laughs, then everything's okay. So, I mean, and that's very much about staying in the moment, which is a huge sort of coping strategy that I use. And I think you probably do as well. You know, and we've learned that, yes, shitty things might happen in the future, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be bad. You know, if Ali's taught me anything and if this diagnosis has taught me anything, something that I thought was going to be the worst imaginable thing in the world has actually turned out to be quite incredible and very much okay most of the time. So I've just stopped. Like, well, I try very hard not to freak out about the future <laughs> and what could happen. Totally. There's literally nothing better than having one of the worst things happen, whatever it is at home, whether it's, you know, something with medical professionals or maybe it's, you know, a G-tube or something that's happening. And then your kid busting up in laughter across the room to just snap you back. Right. (laughs) And you're just like, yeah, this is this is better. I'm going to go here now. It's so good. And they're, they're so good at um, breaking the tension. I know you've said before, like Ford just finds a way to laugh and even, you know, the most shitty circumstances. And it reminded me of Arlo. We were at the hospital and there was a certain pediatrician who used to come around and no one liked them. And this pediatrician had like an enormous nose. And every time they looked at Arlo, like he would just like crack up in their face. <laughs> and like we knew exactly why, but obviously couldn't say. And it just, oh, my oh man, it was great. And it just lightened the mood. And it just, <laughs> it brings you back to what's important. You know, the fact, yeah, this kid, this poor kid is connected to every possible wire and is in a terrible state health wise, but he's still, he's still loving life. He's still having fun. He's still got this like wicked sense of humor. And that, that's what matters. It totally is. I love that. And I think everyone listening has those moments and they're so much more profound, right? They're just so much more noticeable and they're just more luxurious in how they feel than they than they would have before. Definitely. I think we live on the extreme. So yes, we get pretty horrible, scary 
you know, adrenaline inducing moments where you think like, you know, you're calling an ambulance or some button code blue has been called in hospital, like terrible things. But then <laughs> you also just get this like extreme love and pride and laughter and these situations that you never would have been in. So I think we get both ends of it and you just man, you're certainly aware that you're alive. I think a lot more so than I would have been if we were just going, you know, the typical parenting route. Mm, I love that way. I love that way you put it. And in in your book, you did mention that if Arlo hadn't been born like this and he didn't have all of these medical complexities and disabilities that you were sure that you would have taken him for granted. Oh, definitely. And God, no, like I hate to think what petty, trivial crap I'd be worrying about and probably writing about and uh, yeah I it scares me to think that I might not have known this and that given a choice I would never have chosen this that petrifies me because this is just this is an amazing life and I've learned so much and I understand people so much better now and I see so much more of the world than I ever would have seen. Oh my gosh, I totally agree. I joke about it sometimes to my husband, like I just can't even imagine the Effie without Ford and the Effie with Ford as a mom, like the things I might have spent time on that would never even enter my home at this point. And and then you bring it on to your next kid, right? Like what have you noticed with little Odie? What are the moments that you have with her that you just savor because of Arlo. Oh, same with you and Ezzy. Everything, every <laughs> twitch of her finger, every, like when she was growing up, our minds were just blown. And just seeing how easily it all came to her when we'd just been working so hard. Like Arlo, quite similar to Ford, uh, nonverbal. He doesn't roll, doesn't sit, doesn't sort of left to his own devices he lies on the floor with a great big smile on his face he can take steps in his uh, rift and pacer gate trainer um, everything else he needs a heck of a lot of support to do so nothing has come easy for Arlo he's worked incredibly hard to get his head control and core strength and his you know fine motor skills and everything whereas with Odie like we didn't show her anything and she just went and did it all by herself but it's interesting how you're conditioned, I think, when your first child is so completely, you know, off the textbook pages. I remember the first time I came into Odie's room and saw her standing up in her cot. I shrieked. I have <laughs> never been so scared in my life to see this. And I like ran out of the room screaming. It was like I had seen Chucky. Like it was just... <laughs> because my brain is not used to children standing up in cots. Like Arlo was always lying down in cots and it was this like horror <laughs> response, which was so weird. And it just made me think like, wow, like parenting Arlo has really given us this very strange idea. And, you know, I think, again, I've heard you talking about this before. There's a real bit of sweetness to, you know, as Odie was kind of hitting all the, standard milestones it's incredible but you know the day she first crawled up the stairs I just ran to Arlo and picked him up and cried but that that was all my stuff as well like Arlo couldn't have cared less like he was just like yeah whatever I do notice there are times when she's running around and he gets a bit shirty with her 
So I think he does get a little bit frustrated, but you know, other than that, it was, it was definitely just our stuff and us having expectations. But the beauty of Arlo is that with Odie, we had like zero expectations because we just, we chucked the rule book out. We were like, look, we're just going <laughs> to let Arlo do his thing. And it's really cool having that attitude with a typical kid because you sort of have to do that anyway. I think every parent learns you just need to give up. and <laughs> like totally. Let them be who they're going to be. And I think in our situation, you learn to do that straight off the bat. So it's been great. I think it's made us much better, more relaxed parents. Oh my gosh, I totally agree. It Relaxed is a great way to put it. Just the freedom, I think, that we give to Ezzy and that you probably give to Odie is so different than you would have done before, even if it seems maybe dangerous or whatever. Like, I, I think that we let our kids explore more freely and not to put too much pressure on anything, really, in general. Yeah. And I mean, she was quite late to walk and we're still getting the toilet. You know, she's three and we still have nappies at night and stuff but I'm just like whatever like I'm not gonna stress myself out trying to make her do stuff like I've seen that she she just kind of does it so I'll let her walk her own walk and you know it's it's hard for her as well because her example at home is you know an older brother who's in nappies and he's going to be in nappies for a long time so I guess she doesn't have an example there and you know that's fine whatever I don't care if she's in nappies like whatever's easiest we just choose sort of the path of least resistance as much as we can amen much easier <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh totally even just today she was you know I was like do you want to go use the potty Ezzy and she was like Ford wants to go use the potty and I was like well <laughs> uh, maybe he does Ezzy but f- you're the one that's learning, you know. Exactly. <laughs> nope, you don't want to? Okay, let's put a diaper on and you're taking a nap. Like, I don't care either. I'm not pressured. I'm not going to make her go every five seconds. I'm not bringing a portable potty with me. Like, I just don't care. She's going to learn eventually. I know exactly, that. Exactly. And I just think we put so much effort and time and therapy into helping our sons do we'll try and do these things or you know meet their goals that it's just I don't have the energy to, to try and put that you know maybe if we only had a typically developing child I'd have more energy for it but I don't know I've never been that into the whole mother it sounds terrible but the whole like motherhood industry like my mom was one of 10 Irish Catholic growing up and I remember her saying to me like we never had toys like my, our parents didn't play with us. We were just left in like, you know, a washing basket outside <laughs> and that was it. And I'm like, man, like when did like pregnancy and parenthood become a freaking industry where, you know, there are all these expectations put on parents to like be constantly entertaining and playing with their kids and making them these incredible, super healthy meals and lunch boxes and stuff. And like, I just, yeah, I've never, it sounds really bad, but I've never been that passionate or interested about any of that stuff. There are so <laughs> many of us exactly like that. I just want to talk to my girlfriends about like stuff we want to talk about. It's not going to be all about the kids. It's not going to be all about our routines and our sleep schedules and our nap schedules. It's so important to me to have stuff outside of being a parent. And I freaked out when we got Arlo's diagnosis thinking, oh my God, okay, this is big. This is going to mean that all I can be is a parent, you know, dealing with all this disability stuff. But I've worked really hard to 
have other things going on and to, you know, not make Arlo's disability the biggest thing in our lives, the biggest thing in his life, because it doesn't have to be. And, you know, when you, especially when you're raising two kids, one typically developing, one not, I think you've got to be super careful that your entire family world doesn't revolve around the child with disability because that, you know, I've, you speak to adult siblings and, you know, you hear some pretty rubbish stuff. So we're being super conscious to keep everything as even and, I don't know, normal, terrible word as we can, which is hard. And I know you would struggle with this as well, but we try and keep it, you know, we're a family. We're not one kid and their needs. We're a family and we all have needs as a family and we try and think more holistically like that, I suppose. You have to, especially back to your point of talking to adults, right? Whether they are adults with disabilities or if they were the siblings of, of those which I've drawn a lot of wisdom from and, you know, just from day one going into it, making sure that Ezzy doesn't feel the way that so many people did. And she will a little bit, no matter what, it's not going to be able to like not affect her in some way because her life is going to be different than her peers. And, but it's the difference of making it not just that, like you said. Exactly. And it's interesting talking. I've learned a lot from, sibs because I was I was especially worried about you know we have two children I don't want any more children but you feel this pressure horrible societal pressure and people ask you know you're gonna have a third and this pressure to give Odie like a typical sib um so it's been really helpful for me to chat to siblings who grew up with yeah just one sib who had a disability and get advice from them them and a big thing that's come through is just make sure that Odie has friends who come around and spend time at your house and who know what your family is like and what's going on at home and who sort of grow up with this as well and get it and I'm like oh that's super that information is very useful to me and you know I've been promised that it's it's okay. You don't need to have another baby just to like, and I mean, who freaking knows? Like who's to say it would be a typically developing kid anyway, but yep. I don't know if you feel that pressure as well. Um, oh yeah, totally. Totally. You might want another baby and that might be a totally different story. But for me, it's like, oh my God, do I really have to have another one? No, I mean, I think you look at all those angles, right? Like, do I even give him one? Do I do this to my typical child? Do I give them two so they have someone to help them when when they're all adults? Like, how do I leave that one child alone to handle all of this crap I left? Yes. And yeah, like you, you can't not think about that stuff. And I love that you're you're investigating like you usually do and you're searching out the people who can give you that insight and that those answers I think that's really smart I just need reassurance I just needed someone to say to me (laughs) it's okay you don't need to have another baby just to give Odie a typical child (laughs) and now I'm like okay we're good and I know you know how to make this okay because there is you know you hear these horrible things like the forgotten sibling and we're just trying really hard to not have that happen. And it's like you say, she's definitely going to be impacted, but there's so much good. I already see like how she's becoming a really cool kid because of this. And I really wish that I'd grown up around kids with disabilities like she will. Amen. 
Yeah, they're special. Those sibs, they're so special. And it is really amazing to even watch just the empathy and how young they are, right? And how different it is from some of their peers already, just because of their home life. Yeah, but also just like, she just doesn't care. And it's same, you know, Arlo goes to preschool and has lots of little friends and they just don't care that he's different. And I just think adults have so much to learn from kids you know they just adore Arlo and Odie's um, always coming up to him and holding his hand and she's learned the things that make Arlo belly laugh <laughs> like certain little things like he loves the snail and the whale book and there's a line in that at the end which is and the humpback whale holds out its tail holds out its tail and on girl snail after snail after snail and if you say that to Arlo he will just <laughs> lose it so sometimes I'll leave the room and I'll come back in and Ar- Odie will be whispering into Arlo's ear and the humpback whale held out his tail. Oh my he gosh. Just be cracking up. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. What a legend. Like she just watches like and learns and she she wants to, you know, interact with him and have the in joke with him as well. And just seeing them together in moments like that, I'm just like, oh my God god like my heart like this is why you have two right yes (laughs) so good (laughs) you have to film that you have to film that moment oh i have i'll have to send you yes there's so many little little weird things that no one would know but she knows that we'll just get arlo going because she's seen us doing it and she's just taking that on board and it's it's freaking beautiful that stuff totally and like what you said a moment ago yes like let's just normalize this like let uh, we're throwing our kids out there now we're not hiding them away they're not not talked about it's not a taboo subject you know like there's parents like you and me and so many others who are trying to like rebrand this right like hey we are amazing our kids are amazing our families are strong and we are just like you and I look love at, it. I look at us. When, yeah, we're here and we're okay and we're not miserable. <laughs> I love that whole rebranding thing. I remember when um, Gwyneth Paltrow was turning 40, I think. She's like, I'm going to rebrand 40. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we need to rebrand disability parenting. Totally. It's got a really shit reputation and <laughs> we totally. need to work on that because it's not what people think. We need a hell of a lot more awareness for disability across the board and yeah we're we're doing what we can aren't we to change things amen my life isn't ruined and my existence isn't shit because of it like yeah you still get to be you it was really interesting yeah one of the one of the things my therapist was talking to me about was like this this is a diagnosis but it's not your diagnosis like this is who you know this is for your son and this is who he is but you are still you you still get to be you and do the things that you like to do when you can find five minutes to do them um and I think sort of keeping that in mind really helped me and I think for any parent you still get to be you you're not you know just like something that your your parasite child feeds (laughs) off now it's definitely difficult to find that person again and figure out a way to make the time and space but you can even if it's little like you gotta you gotta hang on you have to you can't you can't consume someone's identity yeah totally and you find new parts as well like I bet you never thought you'd be like hosting a podcast totally like I never thought I'd get a book deal and 
write a book. You just find these other bits of yourself that are really freaking great. And again, it scares me to think that I wouldn't have grown in this way and learned what I've learned. Totally. I've definitely heard parents with this as a resounding common theme of the places that it's taken them in every capacity with even just them as a human and their character to their jobs and their passions. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It goes across the board and it's just great. Like I just find like I take so much less shit from people. I'm a lot more (laughs) efficient. I'm a lot less sort of sweet and flowery in my emails. I get to the point a lot more. It just has given my life like a a layer of realism and taken away a bit of fluff, which really needed to happen. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we're just like yammering on. Okay, I know we're all busy, so I'm just going to ask you one more question. So I want to know if you were you now and you were asked to submit the story to the book like yours special what would the story say from melanie now to that mom who's writing this book again oh gosh it's just so i can't even open special special is like a gaping wound for me (laughs) and i just i'm so glad it's there in the way that it is because it's helping parents at the start of this but i just feel entirely differently now and it's hard because the old me wouldn't have wanted to hear the new me saying, this is fine. This is honky door. Cause that's not very helpful. I think I needed to know that it's rubbish at the start and that's okay. But I think a lot of the time while I was writing special, I was just saying stuff to myself and I wasn't a hundred percent believing it. And even in the early interviews with parents, when they were telling me it was okay, I was still getting upset that oh their child with CP isn't walking. Like I was, I was feeling like I wasn't getting the narrative that I wanted. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent believing, even though I was being told it that everything was going to be okay. Until sort of later down the track, when I was finishing the book, and I was like, yeah, I've come, I'm here now, I get it. So I guess I'd just say to old Melanie, like I know you think, I know you think but people are just maybe pretending it's okay when it's not and that they're just trying to make the best of like a consolation prize scenario. But I promise you that is completely untrue. I promise you, you are never going to want to wish this away. It's hard and there are times that are really unfair and those times, you know, when Arlo is unwell are awful but I honest to God would not change any of it. He is a phenomenal person. He's so much cooler than anything you could have imagined. He is just a better human than you ever thought you'd have the the pleasure of meeting and you are happier and more fulfilled than you ever would have been. I think that's what I'd say. And I hope that's answering your question right. <laughs> well, Melanie, I love that you put it that it is like a gaping wound because I, we all understand that. Even even anyone further along the journey than you and myself understands that. They understand the place you are in. Uh, and you understand the place you are in. And that book is the book is kind of the point. That's the whole point, right? 
and just so you know, I know you haven't reread it, but you did say that in the book too. You say all this beautiful stuff about what you did actually end up feeling and learning. And it is, it's hard to know this stuff in the beginning. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to accept advice and it's hard to find your people a little bit, right? And to face it. But definitely, I, especially yeah. when you don't want to face it, you don't <laughs> yes. want to meet your people. I didn't want to know any other families like this. I just thought, oh, I'll just chat to them quickly and they'll let them tell me it's okay and then run away. <laughs> but you just slide into this warm embrace as soon as you start talking to other parents and you're like, oh, actually, this is where it's at. And this is the beauty of it. It's, you know, you and I, we don't really know each other, but like you say, I just feel like you're my best mate and that we could talk forever and it's because you know our kids have vastly different diagnosis and we live on the other sides of the world but I I get you and you get me and we kind of understand this richness and depth of life that we wouldn't have known otherwise and that is really amazing and it is there's nothing truer than that last statement nothing it's absolutely the case well, oh my gosh, Melanie, I am just so grateful to you for putting this resource out into the world, for putting this gorgeous, velvety book that I know so many people clutch to so tightly. And it means everything to parents in the beginning, trust me. And your Aww. gaping wound is their gaping wound. And that's <laughs> the whole point is that we find someone who understands what we're what's happening to us. And it's ugly and it's messy and it's scary and it's shameful and it's this and it's that. And when you can find someone who who lends that same insight and you don't feel crazy, that's all you need to start to repair things. So thank you for writing it. Oh, thank you for doing your podcast right back at you. And again, I just think you got the format so much better than I did. Like it's so it's lovely to listen. So thank you so much for gathering all of the stories that you do and for sharing so much of your wisdom and what you've learned. It is music to my ears. Mm, anytime, Melanie. You can join me anytime. <laughs> thanks, Effie. Um, yeah, I'm so happy to finally be able to sit down and chat with you. So thanks for making it happen. And I hope to have many more chats with you. Yes, please. Thanks, Effie. Bye. Bye. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>